Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Gump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, in today's program, we're going to continue our study of creation in the book of Job. Mm -hmm. And the passage we're going to look at is one that may sound familiar to many people. Yeah, the verses sound familiar, but even though people may have heard them, they might not know these verses were from Job. Does that ever happen to you, Scott? You recognize a verse. You you may even have it memorized, but you don't know where it is. All the time. You know, sometimes, <laughs> I can't think of any specific examples, but sometimes I get Psalms and Proverbs mixed up. Uh -huh. or which gospel was that in? Which epistle? Which prophet said this? You know, that you know, sort of I thing. I usually can tell you whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament. <laughs> no, that's good. Sometimes it's in both. <laughs> but uh, maybe lots of people have that same trouble. I would imagine they do. So anyway, the verses that we're going to talk about today are in Job. It's Job chapter 12, and there are verses 7 and 8. So let me read them and see if people think these sound familiar. Job 12, 7 and 8. But now ask the beasts, and let them teach you, and the birds of the heavens, and let them tell you. Or speak to the earth, and let it teach you, and let the fish of the sea declare to you. Hmm. You've heard those verses thrown around, haven't you, yeah, Scott? Yeah, I, I would have expected that to come out of the poetical books, but I would have thought Psalms or Proverbs again. Yeah, well, it's uh, in Job, and at this point, we've read these verses out of context, and it, of course, is important to remember that in order to understand what Job means by saying these things, we need to understand the context. However, before we consider why Job is referring to these things, I want to spend some time simply doing what these verses verses say. That is, let the beasts and the birds, the earth and the fish, tell us and teach us something. Hmm. Because there are all kinds of lessons we can learn from nature. In fact, the Bible explicitly refers to many creatures and uses them as illustrations that we can and should learn from. So, Scott, let me ask you, what's one of the creatures that you think of when you think about them teaching you something? Well, I just remember somebody, and I don't, this is probably King James Version saying, go to the ant, you sluggard. You know, that, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, that's where, a, is it? where is it? Is that Test your reference? Well, close. You said that you got Psalms and Proverbs mixed up all oh, the time. Oh, no. <laughs> it's actually in Proverbs. And, ah. of course, Proverbs uh, mentions several animals that we can learn from. And Proverbs, of course, is wisdom literature just like Job. So it's interesting that Job would be talking about something that the Proverbs hmm. does over and over again. So let's look at that text in Proverbs that you were referring to about the ant being a, a lesson <laughs> okay. for the sluggard, that is the lazy person. It's sort of funny. It's interesting that it didn't say, go to the slug, you slugger, <laughs> because the slug is a slow thing, too. I guess the slug is something that the sluggard has learned from. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 through 8 is what I'm going to read. Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. So in this passage, the thing that we're to learn from the ant is that the ant is very industrious. It prepares ahead of time. It works in the spring so that it uh, harvests in the fall, so to speak. And how in the world do those ants survive in the freezing cold, <laughs> especially you know up here in the north? I mean, we've got ants way, way, I'm, I assume yeah. we have ants in Canada, right? How do they survive in the super cold through the year? I know that, for example, 
what are they called? Ladybugs? Yeah. I've got swarms of ladybugs that, that live around in my barn, <laughs> and most of them die, but all of them don't die because they're back every spring. So here we've got this amazing ant, as the preacher points out, they don't have any, anybody to guide or direct them, and yet they work together and they prepare ahead of time, and they always have food to eat. But, you know, ants are also mentioned in a different portion of the book of Proverbs, later on in Proverbs chapter 30, and the ant is included in a list of four different things that the preacher is amazed at. And so now I want to read from Proverbs chapter 30, starting at verse 24. It says, four things are small on the earth, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are not strong folk. (laughs) Strong folk, (laughs) what a way to put it. The ants are not strong folk, but they prepare their food in the summer. That's very, very similar to what the Proverbs said, isn't it? They prepare their food in the summer. The badgers are not mighty folk, yet they make their houses in the rocks. The locusts have no king, yet all of them go out in ranks. The lizard you may grasp with the hands, yet it is in king's palaces. (laughs) Four really interesting thoughts about four very different kinds of creatures. Ants, insects, badgers, mammals, locusts, well, insects again, and then lizards, which are reptiles. So the preacher here refers to these different creatures as all being exceedingly wise. And of course, if they're wise, we're to learn from them. So what are we to learn? Well, the ants aren't strong, but they prepare their food. So just because someone may fail weak, that's no excuse not to be prepared and not to work hard because one still can survive, even though they aren't a strong person necessarily. The badgers, it says they're not mighty, but they make really strong houses. They Ah. make them out of rocks. And somehow or other, they figure out how to weasel their way between the rocks. And they're quite protected down deep inside. The locusts have no king, it says, yet they go out in ranks. Well, I don't know if they're in single file or or (laughs) row by row, but and I think that is what that means. The ranks are being row by row. But they are very organized. And uh, boy, when they swoop in, nothing can stop them. And then finally, the lizard, you may grasp with the hands. In other words, it's a simple little creature. It's not real strong. Again, you can grab it. And yet, even though you might be able to catch it, it lives in king's palaces. And, and I like that comparison between locusts not having a king and lizards living in oh, king's palaces. I thought of that. Just a lot of really interesting uh, you know, poetry here, as you even mentioned, Scott, as well as the thought that we can learn from these creatures that we have no excuse. Even though they're not strong, they don't have necessarily a, a leader you could capture them. They live in what we might say strongholds. Hmm. And Scott, the preacher, the writer of the Proverbs, (laughs) is not done yet in directing us to the animals, similar to what Job did, to learn. In Proverbs chapter 6, again, we had read 6, 6 through 8. Let's look at the first few verses of Proverbs chapter 6, and we're going to see that the preacher teaches us a couple of very pointed lessons about a couple of different animals, the gazelle and the bird. Proverbs 6, starting at verse 1. He says, My son, if you have become surety for your neighbor, have given a pledge for a stranger, if you have been snared with the words of your mouth, have been caught with the words of your mouth, do this then, my son, and deliver yourself, since you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go humble yourself and importune your neighbor. Do not give sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. 
So here, what the writer of Proverbs brings to mind is how fast a gazelle is, and he's making this illustration. Mm -hmm. You should work that fast, you should try that hard to quickly get out of debt. (laughs) Um, And maybe even if you can, you know, reverse the deal that you made. Now, you can't back out on it illegally, I guess you might say, but the writer here is saying, you know, if you've done something foolish, you should very quickly, don't let it go on, quickly try and get out of it. And then again, the example of the bird, try to fly away, (laughs) try to get out of the hand of the fowler. In other words, escape capture. And finally then, before we do get back to the passage in Job, a couple other verses from the Proverbs. I want to go back to Proverbs chapter 30. And the verses that we're going to read here are interesting because the preacher expresses his amazement at what animals can do. In Proverbs chapter 30, verses 18 and 19, it speaks of three animals and then actually of humans, a man and a woman. Verse 18, there are three things that are too wonderful for me. Four that I do not understand, the way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a snake on a rock, Hmm. the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a maiden. Interesting combination. Yes, and three of the four are, are creatures, and two, of course, are animals, the eagle and the snake. And what the preacher is saying is that as he thinks about these things, they're too wonderful for him. I believe the NIV uses the term amazing, where you said wonderful. Yeah, too amazing or too wonderful. That's the sense of the word. But when we think about the last one, especially the way of a man with a maiden, we could (laughs) talk all day about not understanding the way of a man with a maiden. And I tend to think that Solomon or whoever, you know, is basically making a joke (laughs) when he includes the man and a woman and their way together as a reference. And the reason I say that is, do you see how the first three things, the eagle in the sky, the snake on a rock, and a a ship on the high seas, all deal with something navigating its way around? Yeah. So the question is, how in the world does a man navigate his way around a woman? (laughs) (laughs) Don't ask me. (laughs) We could discuss that all day. But what I want to focus on is the thought of how does an eagle fly? as it does? Or how does a snake move around as it does without legs, you know, on a rock? (laughs) Also, the other creatures we read about, the ants and the locusts, for example, how do they accomplish the complex social tasks that they do without the kind of hierarchical structure we're familiar with and find necessary if you're going to have any number of individuals working together to accomplish something? Such things really are amazing. They are too wonderful, as the writer of Proverbs put it. And that word translated amazing or wonderful really is, in fact, a special, we might say, not to be too redundant, a wonderful word. The first place it occurs is a verse that we've referred to several times when we've thought about how amazing God is in the various works that he performs in nature. It's in Genesis 18, 14. It's when the angel of the Lord was speaking to Abram and Sarah. The angel said, is anything too difficult for the Lord? In other words, too wonderful or too amazing. The idea there then is when the writer of Proverbs says there are three things that are too wonderful for me, it's the idea that it's too difficult for him to grasp. And frankly, I would suggest that it's too difficult for us all to grasp. Scientists study and study these things, you know, study the the social network of ants or bees, you know, the hive and all that. They can spend hours and hours, years and years studying these things. And frankly, we're just swiping at explanations (laughs) on how in the world they 
manage to do these complex social interactions. So when we're thinking of adjectives like difficult or wonderful, we could put baffling in there. That's another really good way, or incomprehensible. And actually, we're going to read a verse where we see this word used, and that's the description that is used. So anyway, the Genesis reference says, is anything too difficult for the Lord? Places in the book of Job where this word is used is in Job chapter 5, verse 9. In describing God, it says, who does great and unsearchable things? Wonders, there's that word, wonders without number. So here the description is it's unsearchable. In other words, we can't ever completely figure it out. In Job chapter 9, verse 10, who does great things, unfathomable and wondrous works without number. The wondrous works is the translation of the word there. And perhaps the most amazing use of this word is actually in the noun form. And it's in a passage, again, that we're all familiar with. And maybe people do know this reference. It's Isaiah 9, 6. It says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called... Wonderful. Exactly. Wonderful. (laughs) That's the word. And that is unexplainable, isn't it? It is unsearchable. It's incomprehensible. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And that's not what I say. That's what Scripture says.